0: A bad habit that I've had uh, with me probably since childhood is that uh, I really, I eat fast. I love to eat and I I get to the table with gusto and I just want to dig right in. Um, I've tried to break this habit before. I learned at one point that Nancy Reagan, who's who's just thin as a rail, uh, used to chew every bite 50 times. And I tried that for a while, and then I realized she was thin as a rail because nothing tastes good after you've chewed it 50 times, <laughs> so you just stop eating. So I didn't have luck uh, slowing down, and, and consequently, I have uh, on more than one occasion, sadly, committed one of the terrible gaffes of, of, of table etiquette. I have. Uh, dug right in and tasted that first bite and looked around wanting to talk to somebody about how delicious it is and realizing that they're all sitting politely at the table waiting for the hostess to take her place. (laughs) It's really hard to hide that kind of a gaff. In fact, uh, this is uh, apparently in the Huffington Post they did a review of all these etiquette gurus and asked them what are the rudest things that you can do at a table, and sure enough, one of them said, eating before everyone has been served. So guilty as charged. Uh, Interestingly, the etiquette person went on to explain the reasoning for why uh, it's, in, in her estimation, wrong to eat before everyone has been served or to gulp down your food too fast or too slow, not keeping pace with your fellow diners, and a few other things. She says, the number one thing should be at the table is relationships. It's, it should be all about the people we're dining with and the experience of being gathered together. And not about the the focus should not be on the food. In the scripture from 1 Corinthians today, Paul is writing to Christians in a congregation he helped establish. He writes a letter to give them advice on how to deal with lots of different kinds of problems that have arisen in their midst since he left and moved on to a new location with his missionary work. But people write to Paul and let him know what's going on, and so he writes back, and he uh, oftentimes hears of things he wants to correct, and he typically addresses those things first in terms of the harm being done to the community, and then he identifies the Christ principle that's at stake, that he's using to analyze the situation, and then he Explains that principle in a way that gives pastoral guidance or direction for the community. And that's exactly what he does here in chapter 11. Now, at minimum, the church in Corinth has a problem with just basic table manners. And here's how it went down. While they were gathering to eat the Lord's Supper, presumably uh, sometimes in the evening near supper time, Um, they uh, were manifesting the divisions that were among them and the instruction Paul gives them in light of that sheds light still today I think on the meaning of Holy Communion almost 2,000 years later and so this is the the last of the sermon series on on the meaning of communion Um, as you can tell I, I like communion I could go on but I won't Uh, The Corinthian congregation was divided between factions, and that wasn't terribly surprising in its context. It was located uh, such that it was a really critical place on an east-west and both north-south trading routes, and it had been rather newly reestablished, and as such it was a a cosmopolitan um, environment with people from different cultural and social backgrounds, and and it was... um, Competitive and entrepreneurial and consumerist and people there, uh, like many places, but perhaps even more so, had a lot of different levels of material wealth. And people with those different levels of material wealth had received the message of Christ and become Christians and were part of this congregation. Congregations at that time met in homes, and it needed to be larger homes uh, than those that were smaller. They, they had to have room to host people. And that meant that in, the, in those times, the wealthier members of the congregation were often hosting the gatherings. And that seemed to be part of where the issue arose. It's not exactly clear what was wrong with the way they were observing the Lord's Supper and their community meal. Uh, Because they knew what was going on and Paul talked to them about it, but he didn't spell it all out. He didn't need to for them. But scholars who are reading the text and kind of reading in between the lines of what he describes think that it was something related to uh, the distribution of food or the timing, and I'll explain that in a minute. But Paul starts out first before he even goes to the behavior and talks to them about the consequence for the life of their community. Something they were doing emphasized a lack of material equality among them, and thus it humiliated those who have nothing. Now, uh, some think that it may be that uh, there were people in the congregation whose employment was that they were service, servants, and so they had to serve people in the homes where they were employed, and then could only get there late, later than the dinner hour, to celebrate with the others. And those had not waited for him, they'd gone ahead without them, and, and that's why some were drunk already, and others were hungry. Um, others have speculated that in the in the houses that they've excavated from that time frame, that there were different kinds of rooms. Uh, a dining room that seated 10 to 12 people uh, where they could be at a table together and on couches reclining, and then there would be a secondary room that would have um, much less furnishings and kind of pack people in more, and then even an outer room. And, and they think that the, the inequality was being emphasized by the fact that there were people in very different settings with different amounts and kinds of food. And in that way, we can understand that it's really contemporary today, too. We also live in a world where there are lots of different levels of material wealth that people have. And if we're fortunate to be in a diverse community, we have people with different levels of ability to sustain life and then add to its comforts uh, among us. And it can be difficult to honor community, being together in situations where people have really different levels of resources. And I, in my own life, we uh, experienced that uh, through the family vacations that once we uh, all got grown up and out of the house, my parents really wanted to, and moved all over the place, my parents really wanted to have a a week when they could get everybody back together and and get to, so the cousins could get to know each other. And uh, six different children and uh, 17 years from oldest to youngest, and people with different gifts, some people had a lot of money, disposable income, and and others were strapped, and um, we kind of negotiated how we handled that. I'm pretty sure that there are some years that I didn't pay anything to go on that vacation, and that others were chipping in, and I know that there were years when I was doing that for those who were younger than I was or in a different situation in life. We try to do that here too. It's important to create things that unite people and give a common experience. And it can be actually pretty tricky to negotiate sometimes. So Paul, after he points out the humiliation in the community, he goes to talk about um, what the theological issue is at heart, and he reminds them of the words that were handed down from the First Last Supper. And and then draws from that an admonition for each one of them to engage in a kind of examination because the problem was That they were not appropriately discerning the body as they ate and celebrated the Lord's Supper. What does he mean by that? Well, I think there are two senses in which he's talking about discerning the body, that they're called to discern. In, In the first place, but just like we've been talking about a little bit later on in the letter, Paul goes on to say: you, you believers in Christ who have Heard the word and proclaimed faith and you have the spirit of God with you. You are the body of Christ. It's so part of what they're not doing in their lack of table manners. is They're not discerning the oneness that they have through the gift of God's grace. And they're not respecting the, the need to show the precious worth of each and every person in the way they come together. That's one kind of discerning the body. But I think there's another kind of discerning the body. He says, you who come together have come, and when you take the Lord's Supper, you proclaim his death until he comes. In this way, they, they need to discern the body of Jesus, who came to serve, and not be served, who came as a prophet bringing good news for the poor, recovering of sight for the blind, who taught that we are to love one another and love God. Why, as we come to celebrate that table, we need to discern why did that Jesus die? He invites us to remember, and not just to remember a history lesson, but to remember imaginatively and to participate in the event. And as I remember that Last Supper and the events around it, I remember his death in the presence of friends who betrayed and denied him, of officials who saw no crime in him but stood by while they pacified the crowd, the religious leaders, some of whom were jealous or scared losing their control over the people. And when I think about that time again, it sneaks up on me, but I find that my sin was there too. And it breaks my pride and self-righteousness all again. And in that brokenness, it creates an opening for God's grace that loved and died for even me. So when I proclaim that death, I proclaim God's willing sacrifice for a sinner like me. But I also proclaim his death until he comes. And thus, remember and live by the promise that I see in glimmers and glimpses by faith all the time that love is stronger than hate and that God's life is stronger than death. So I have two images that I uh, hold and want to leave with you about how we can, as Paul says, coming to the Lord's Supper, discern the body. I want you to imagine if you would, I wish we could experience it, that every other pew would get flipped around so that you were, and and put a table down in the middle of them so that everybody here was looking across the table from another believer in this congregation. So that as we ate, we would see the body and its diversity right in front of us. I have another image, though, too. Now, you'll find out in a minute, we're going to take communion a different way just today. (laughs) I'm trying to save John emails in his inbox. (laughs) We're going to have communion the old way, or the old way, but probably not the oldest way, by intinction, and we, we... or not by intention, which is what we normally do. If you're a first-time visitor and you experience this, you're not gonna experience this again for a long time, it's for sure. But we are going to have the elements each handed to us in the pew so that we can take them all at the same time. That was part of Paul's instructions. I'll share them with you. But when I was growing up in the Evangelical United Brethren Church, we did not have children have communion until they were confirmed. So the first time I had communion was at my confirmation. And I, I had uh, thought a bit about, about it. And, um, and so the first time I took this thing, I threw it back, and I remembered that movie that I'd seen, probably more than one, where they toast to each other to life, and then they throw their glass into the fireplace. And and ever since then, I've loved taking communion like this because I'm lifting my glass to life. To life. Because grace and forgiveness bring real life. Spiritual food it's great. So Paul asked them to examine themselves and think about the consequences of the Lord's body given for them and the body that it creates in a church trying to live into God's promise of unity. And he says, so then my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you're hungry, it's already your dinner time, go ahead and eat at home. But when you come together in this participation in me, do so in a way that is fitting to the table that I spread. And so that's what we are going to do today. We are going to have communion um, seated in the pews so that we can all take and eat at the exact same time. Now, there are wonderful symbolism that come with each different way of having communion. It's wonderful to to have the word and gift proclaimed and then have to walk down the aisle if you're able to receive the gift of grace. But this time, we're going to practice the table manner of waiting and doing it all together. And on this World Communion Sunday, it's appropriate that we think about the precious gift of Jesus' prayer that we all might be one. Amen. Waukaim.